I want to bring attention to the fact that Kegels are using the muscles that are part of our core and that when it's put in relation to the breath, it becomes a much more powerful exercise. And it also brings attention to the need to relax. everyone, welcome back to episode 102 of That's So Maven. Today is officially the first episode of my women's reproductive health series. And the name doesn't sound that exciting, but I swear it really is. It's basically the sex ed that you never received in middle or high school, where it was a lot of focus on how to not get pregnant. And don't get me wrong, I think that that is a messaging that we need to be providing to teenagers, proper uses of contraception and ways to protect yourself from STIs and pregnancy. Those are all very important things. That being said, as a woman who is in her very, very late 20s, there's a lot that I haven't learned. And a lot of it came to the surface when I was doing my prenatal yoga teacher training, which by the way, if you didn't know, I'm now teaching a weekly prenatal yoga class at the Pad Studios in San Francisco. So if you want details on that, I will include something in the show notes. But when I was in my training, I was learning so much about the woman's body and all of these things that we can be doing preventatively, but also just know about because there are a lot of changes that happen throughout our lifetime as women, even like within our 28-ish day cycle. You know, there's a lot that we don't know about ourselves. And and maybe I'm alone in this, but I get the feeling that I'm not, especially because I asked you guys on Instagram if you wanted to see a series like this, and many of you said yes. And so that's why I started it, so that we can know what's happening in our bodies, whether it's our pelvic floor, as we're going to be discussing today, or pregnancy, or menopause, and many other topics that we're going to be jumping into on the show I really just wanted to dig deeper, learn more, figure out what's happening in my body and just feel more empowered. So I hope that's your takeaway from this series and that you learn a lot about yourself. As always, I'm open to requests from you guys if there's a topic that I didn't cover that you feel like might be missing, but we're just at the beginning stages now, so hold on tight because there's a lot of different topics. Right now, I'm thinking it's going to be about five or six weeks, so Lots of interesting themes going on here, and I'm just really, really excited to share more and share the interviews that are coming out. I have a bunch of them recorded and still some on the rise, so stay tuned. But today, I'm chatting with Kim Vopney, who is the Vagina Coach, and she's going to be chatting all about our pelvic floor. And many women struggle with their pelvic floor, but they don't realize that that is what is causing their pain or incontinence or even just recovery from having a baby. It's like you don't know about your pelvic floor until you run into an issue with it. And many women across their lifetimes will run into an issue with their pelvic floor, all of which is preventable. So on today's episode, Kim is gonna be sharing a bit more about the pelvic floor, what it is, how we can work it the correct way, not the way that many of us were taught, and the changes that happen to our pelvic floor throughout our lifetime. So this is a really empowering episode for me especially. And you know, when I'm teaching my prenatal yoga classes, 
it's really important to work the pelvic floor in a way that's different than you might do postnatally. And I definitely feel like I learned a lot from this episode, especially in combination with what I took away from my prenatal yoga teacher training. So yeah, hopefully you can take a thing or two away from this episode. I know pelvic floors aren't necessarily the sexiest topic, but it is so, so important as women that we know about this. So If you are struggling with something involving your pelvic floor, I really hope you go and see a pelvic floor specialist or a PT who specializes in pelvic floors. Or maybe you know someone who might be struggling with their pelvic floor or just had a baby or is preparing to have a baby. Whatever it may be, feel free to send this episode to them because it's super educational and I know that I learned a ton. So stay tuned until the end of the episode. I'm going to give some life updates, some things that are happening that are coming out in the next few weeks as well as what to expect from the rest of this series. But with that, let's jump into today's episode. Here's Kim. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I was mentioning to you about how we are running this women's health series. And one of the questions that came up a lot for people was around the pelvic floor and pelvic floor health. And I feel like especially here in North America, we don't have a lot of just information and resources and knowledge around what we can do for our pelvic floor preventatively or even to just, you know, care for it on a daily basis. We're basically told like, do kegels, but like, what does that really mean? So I'm thrilled to be here chatting with you today and get to ask all the questions that I have. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's a, well, I'm maybe a bit biased, but I think it's a topic that does need more attention. So thank you very much for bringing more awareness to people. Awesome. So if people are not familiar with you and your work, can you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Sure. So how I got into this was through my own pregnancies. So I sort of grew up with a bit of a fear about how babies came out of vaginas and women carried on. And uh, my mom had issues. And so I sort of grew up with an expectation that I just wasn't going to go down that route. But uh, I did. I grew up, I got married, I decided I did want to start a family. And I had seen my sister in law give birth, and she used midwives. And it was an eye opening experience to me, because up to that point, all I knew was what I had seen on TV or movies or what have you. So it was very empowering for me and gave me a bit of confidence that I could do this and also armed me with the knowledge of midwifery and so that sort of started me on the path. And then when I was pregnant the following year and I and, uh, was talking about my concerns about the pelvic floor with my midwives, they recommended a product to me called the Epino. And it's a German product that is like a biofeedback trainer. So I used that product and I had great success. And I certainly credit my midwives and other things that I did in my own birth. But I felt like compared to my friends, I was one of the only ones that had this great experience in my birth and other people had some challenges. And so I said, well, you know, I wonder if I have an opportunity to bring this to awareness, uh, a greater awareness to people. So I contacted the company and asked if I could become a distributor. And my intention was not to have a business per se, but just to make it available to more women. So I sold it kind of on the side for a while. And I had a second babe and used it with that pregnancy as well. And then not long after I was laid off from my corporate job and I had shortly before that been thinking, you know, I wonder if I could do something with this product and make it more accessible and if I could be at home more with my kids. And so three months later, I got laid off and I started to network with anybody who would listen to me about pelvic floor. 
And pelvic floor physiotherapist starting to, started to refer to me. And at that point, I had never heard of a pelvic floor physio or physical therapist. And I started to sit down and chat with them and learn more about the pelvic floor. And this was about 14 years ago or so. And at the time, there weren't that many people doing that type of work. And it became very apparent to me that it was highly, highly, I guess, underused, but not a lot of people knew about it, but we also needed more people to become trained in pelvic floor physical therapy. And so I, I started down this path just to, to create awareness about the pelvic floor and basically scream from the rooftops that I think everybody should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist at least once a year. So that's kind of how it started. And then I had been a personal trainer in my previous life. So I combined my work with my fitness training. I took doula training as well. And I started very much from a birth perspective and preparing women preventively in their pregnancies for birth so they could minimize the challenges such as incontinence and prolapse that are very common after having a baby. And that's kind of where it started. And then since then, it has evolved into pregnancy, motherhood, menopause, any stage of life. I had lots of women coming to me after saying, well, I know you help women in pregnancy, but can you help women who have challenges after the fact? And so it's just kind of evolved even as my own. I mean, I'm now in perimenopause. And so as my kind of circle of friends changes, I sort of evolved my business with it as well. And um, so I did used to have an online store with products and uh, one of them was the EpiNo, but recently I've closed down the shop and now I focus mainly on online programs and coaching. And that's the high level who I am, what I do. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm so excited to be able to chat with you about the pelvic floor at all of these different stages, as mm -hmm. well as just hearing about some of the effects of not mm -hmm. caring for our pelvic floor or, you know, I, I don't want to like blame it on women. It's not our fault. I think there's mm -hmm. just like misinformation out there and also just mm -hmm. a lack of information out there, which is why we're here today. So let's take things back a little bit for people who don't even know what the pelvic floor is. Like, what is it and where is it? <laughs> so the pelvic floor is essentially a group of muscles that forms the base of our pelvis. So if you were to put your hands on your hips right now and you feel your bones at the front of your pelvis, and then if you were to kind of wiggle your bum around or even pull your butt cheeks apart, you might feel like there's two bones that stick through your bum, if you can feel those. And those would be considered the sits bones. Um, and then if you take your fingertips and you find your pubic bone, people call it the, the joint right at the front of your pelvis. And then if you think of where your tailbone is, so if you put your hand kind of in between your butt cheeks and you, I usually say it's usually your middle finger, the tip of your middle finger can kind of, you know, navigate through there and might find a little bit of a, uh, the end of that, which is your tailbone. So the sits bones, the pubic joint and the tailbone are all the attachment points for that group of muscles that we're talking about. So it's not just one muscle, it's a group of them and they are in the pelvis in layers. Uh, there's a lot of nerves that run through there. There's a huge blood supply. The muscles wrap around our openings. So we have our vagina and our urethra and, and we have our rectum as well. So the muscles play a role in helping close or open when we need that to happen or not happen. So they're a group of muscles that are, you know, we don't really think about them. We don't even really know about them for uh, really ever unless there's a problem. And then once people start to have challenges with their pelvic floor, then they start to investigate and they start to learn. And then they 
recognize that there's a whole host of jobs that that group of muscles does that we haven't really been told about, we haven't been educated about. So some of those roles are because of the attachment points at the base of the spine and onto the pelvis, the muscles play a role in pelvic and spinal control and stability. They play a role in in our continence. So I mentioned that they help close the sphincters and the muscles help us distinguish between peeing and pooing and farting. And then if we need to hold it for a second because we're in an, an elevator, then we should be able to have the control to do so. So we need to be able to distinguish between what wants to come out and is it an appropriate time for it to come out. Uh, It plays a role in helping keep our organs up in place, so our our bladder, our uterus, our rectum, and also with regards to our sexual satisfaction or lack thereof. Um, So super, super important jobs. It's the base of our core. So when we talk about core fitness, core was focused, it still is a huge, huge buzzword in fitness. And recently, people are starting to talk about the pelvic floor, but it was so overlooked for so many years and the focus really was on the outermost abdominal muscles as being core training and the pelvic floor was overlooked. So it's a really, really central part of our body, of our power, of our um, of our confidence and uh, a part of the body that really gets overlooked. And sometimes there can be shame and embarrassment associated with it. So it deserves a lot more attention than it gets. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up some of the things that the pelvic floor does for us. And like you said, we oftentimes only concern ourselves with it when something seems to go wrong. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those things? And I'd love to kind of focus throughout a woman's lifetime, you know, maybe pre-pregnancy, post-pregnancy, menopause, like what are the things that come up for women if they're not actively focusing on their pelvic floor and and maintaining it? Sure. So some of the more common challenges, I would say the most common challenge would be incontinence. And usually it's stress urinary incontinence, you might see it referred to as SUI, or some people call it sneeze pee, um, or peezing. So that would definitely be one of the more common ones. And people have historically associated it with something that happens to older women. So potentially women who are in menopause or beyond. But young women, so especially young competitive athletes um, can experience incontinence and it's it's becoming an increasing problem, I guess I'll say. It's often associated with timing within the muscles, within that core unit I was talking about. So the pelvic floor is the foundation of the core. It works in synergy with our breathing diaphragm, with the deep abdominals that wrap around us, people refer to it as the corset muscle, the transversus abdominis, and then some muscles in our spine called the multifidus, which run up um, kind of in a Christmas tree shape along our spine. So those four inner pieces all need to work in synergy. And, and if there's an element of dissynergy within that group, then it can contribute to symptoms or challenges like incontinence. So that would be one of the most common um, Urge incontinence is another one where sometimes people will have an overwhelming, they, they are fine, they're going along about their day, and then all of a sudden they get the urge to go and it's almost uncontrollable and they feel like they can't or sometimes cannot make it to the bathroom in time. Urgency is typically more associated with potentially some sort of damage. So it, oftentimes it's nerve damage, which could be from a car accident, it could be from the way somebody holds their body through the day, it could be from pregnancy or birth. 
uh, surgeries. I think I said surgery already, but um, so many different reasons why uh, there could be some interruption to some nerve influence, and then that obviously affects the muscles. You can have a combination of the two. So mixed incontinence would be the urgency coupled with the leaking that happens with exertion. And so as I said, that can affect women through any stage. I would say it's most commonly associated after pregnancy and giving birth. And oftentimes symptoms start. So some of the messages that the body is sending start in pregnancy and people say, well, it's just because I'm pregnant. You know, there's the baby's pushing on my bladder so they can excuse it in pregnancy. But I really urge women to pay attention to those signals, especially during pregnancy and and ideally even before then so that it's less likely to become a problem. Organ prolapse is another one that is very common. So about 50% of women have some degree of organ prolapse, but it is often early prolapse is often asymptomatic. So while I say 50% of women have it, not very many people know they have it because it's very rarely checked for unless again, there is some symptom that somebody then goes to look for. So prolapse occurs when the bladder, the uterus or the rectum move out of their optimal position within the pelvis and they so the bladder and the rectum can bulge into the vagina so the bladder would bulge into the anterior or the front wall of the vagina and the rectum bulges into the posterior wall or the back wall of the vagina and creates a little bulge so regardless of whether you have the anterior or posterior it creates a bulge and you can have both And in extreme cases, that bulge can descend all the way down to the entrance and potentially even out of the vagina completely. The uterus can also descend. However, it sits at the top of the vagina, so it doesn't bulge into, it just descends into. Does that make sense? Yep. So any, you can have one or all of the organs prolapsing and they have different grades. And this depends a little bit on where you are. So in North America, typically it's graded on a four stage. So early stage would be one and two. Grade three would be typically when there is the bulge visible right at the entrance. And then grade four would be when it's actually out of the vagina. And as you can imagine, a grade four prolapse from a visual perspective, it would look similar to a scrotum. It would, it would look like you have a scrotum almost out of your vagina. And it can be very uncomfortable, obviously. Um, it can affect confidence greatly. It will affect, affect activity. It will affect sex. It will affect interpersonal relationships. And it is devastating to women when they find out they have a prolapse. So that's a, a really, that's one of the main reasons why I recommend every single woman, even if you have no symptoms, to see a pelvic floor physical therapist annually. Because you can catch early stage prolapse with screening. So like we go to the dentist to screen for cavities, we can go to pelvic floor physical therapists to screen for things that may not be a challenge yet, but could become one. Absolutely. If we catch prolapse early enough, there is an opportunity to prevent it from getting any worse or potentially even reverse it. And the final thing I'll say that that is common would be pelvic pain. And this, again, can affect anybody through any stage. There's often a lot of women who are dealing with pelvic pain for various reasons. And sometimes it becomes more of a challenge, I guess I'll say, during fertility. So if they are 
wanting to start a family and potentially they have pain with sex or the pain is potentially interfering with their ability to enjoy sex and to obviously participate in it with the intention of becoming pregnant. So, uh, but again, it, it can it can affect people throughout their life, but it, it's very, very, especially pain with sex, which is called dyspareunia, is very, very treatable with pelvic floor physical therapy. And um, if more people knew about it, I think it would change a lot of lives. Absolutely. And I'm curious, what is the connection between women's hormones, like their own, you know, maybe 28-ish day cycle or hormones throughout their lifetime relating to the pelvic floor? Like, are they related in some capacity? thousand percent, yes. Oftentimes, I hear women say, you know, I'm okay, I don't really have any problems until just before my period or the week before my period starts. And we have the declining estrogen levels, which are also sort of mimicking what would be happening as we get into menopause as well. So I always bring that to people's attention that, you know, you're already starting to feel that the influence of hormones affects your pelvic floor directly. So extra important that you need to continue in a kind of a pelvic floor focused lifestyle throughout your life stages, not just now because you have potentially a a symptom that's, that's talking to you. Um, and also we have the hormonal influence in pregnancy, obviously. So we have the relaxin that can affect the joints. There's a study that came out recently that looked at the relationship of estrogen to our connective tissue, our fascia within our body that can influence the control within our pelvis, um, throughout our body, but I'm talking specifically about the pelvis today. Uh, so yeah, hormones play a huge, huge piece. And I, uh, along with working with a physio, I think working with a women's health naturopath or integrated med- medicine physician, somebody who can help you keep on top of your hormone levels and make sure that they stay balanced as well is certainly important. Absolutely. And a common complaint that I've heard from women who are in perimenopause or in menopause is that they are dealing with issues relating to their pelvic floor and something that they wish they had done was paid attention to it earlier mm-hmm. in life because, you know, whether it's during pregnancy or during menopause, it catches up to you at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I do want to talk a little bit about how we can actually work our pelvic floor. And I think most people listening have probably heard of Kegels. Mm-hmm. I want to have like a candid conversation around like, what are Kegels? Are Kegels the only thing that you can do? Are, should we still be doing Kegels? Should we be stopping ourselves when we're peeing? <laughs> like, I just feel like there's so little information out there. And I, I just want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So Kegels are, and Kegel, Kegel, tomato, tomato, it doesn't matter necessarily how you pronounce it. But Dr. Kegel was a physician who recognized in his patients following childbirth that they were having difficulty accessing, recruiting, using their pelvic floor appropriately. So he used a device, a biofeedback device called a perineometer, which was a tool that it was inserted into the vagina and it was attached to a gauge. And so women contracted and relaxed their pelvic floor muscles, it would register so they could actually see what was happening as opposed to relying on what they felt because not everybody has the same capacity or awareness to be able to feel if they're contracting or relaxing. So that's how they started. And essentially, a Kegel is a voluntary contraction, a lifting and then a letting go of the lift and contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. 
But what has happened over time is our society thinks harder is better and maximum contraction must be the best. And the focus has gone to just squeezing, squeeze, 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 squeeze as hard as you can and do 100 repetitions a day. And so that coupled with the misunderstanding of you should contract your abs all day to strengthen your core. We have people who often have actually more tension in their pelvic floor and the muscles are not going through that contract, lift, relax cycle and they're kind of staying contracted and and lifted and not able to fully let go. So a lot of times when, when people think of kegels, they think they just need to squeeze their vagina. Or when they're doing it, oftentimes people will use their inner thighs or sometimes they'll squeeze their butt cheeks thinking they're doing a kegel. But a kegel really is, again, it's a voluntary, I use cues like if you can think of sipping a milkshake through a straw with your vagina, or if you could imagine picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus, or if you appreciate something tactile, if you could imagine that maybe you had a partner's finger or a penis or a sex toy or even a tampon inside and you would be gripping or holding on to and kind of drawing that upwards and inwards. So that's essentially what the contract and lift would be. And then the inhale, uh, sorry, the, the relaxation would be coupled with your inhale breath. And it's more of a, I think about blossoming. So I get women to think about blossoming their butt cheeks, blossoming their vulva, letting go of tension in between those two sit bones in the bum. So kegels aren't necessarily, people have heard the term, but they're not necessarily taught. The best people to teach you how to do a kegel, if you have access to one, again, I say this over and over, is pelvic floor physical therapists. But you can also use your own fingers or you can use your partner. And what you should feel, if you were to insert your fingers into your vagina, When you contract, you should feel almost like a gentle hug around your fingers and then almost a a gentle drawing upwards and then, again, that letting go. And when you coordinate it with your breath, it becomes a core exercise. So I always say kegels are a core exercise. So on the inhalation, that's when you think about the relaxation, the opening, the blossoming, and then the exhalation is when you think about the milkshakes or the blueberries or the drawing your uh, fingers or tampon or whatever it is that you have inside you. Does that make sense? Does that kind of give a decent, I have a, a video on my site. You can look in my blog section. That is so helpful. Okay. <laughs> so incredibly helpful. And you know, what comes up for me is are kegels kind of the answer to everything? Like, is that, you know? No. Nope. Okay. That's what I figured. I figured it can't possibly be like a, a one size fits all treatment. No. And it's, So kegels are, and I I use the term kegel because that's what people understand, but I actually call it the core breath. So when you're searching on my site, if you look for the core breath or on YouTube, that's what you'll find. I want to bring attention to the fact that kegels are using the muscles that are part of our core and that when it's put in relation to the breath, it becomes a much more powerful exercise. And it also brings attention to the need to relax, the inhalation, the blossoming, because again, so many people have been, they hold their abs in all day, they sit kind of in a tucked under pelvis position that that over time sort of shortens and tightens that space and it doesn't allow for proper breath, I guess. And if we then said to that person, 
you should go and do kegels and their understanding of kegels is to squeeze their vagina they they could actually make the situation more troublesome for themselves and really the muscles need to go through that cycle just like the rest of our body does we need to have movement and we need to have the expansion and the contraction and the expansion and the contraction and the other element that i feel is missing is well there's a couple but kegels need to be done correctly they need to be done consistently so they're not a a quick fix thing there's something that really we should have a pelvic floor fitness lifestyle and the other piece is kegels are in my opinion meant to be done in a functional way it's not just something you do at every red light it's not something you do sitting on a chair or lying down on your floor a couple times a week it should be incorporated into movement so I take that breath, that core breath, and I add it to exercise. So you could turn a bicep curl into a core exercise or a pelvic floor exercise or kegels, so to speak. You could turn squats into that. You can, you know, it's about applying that to functional movement. And then also, depending on the person, they might need to focus more on the blossoming visualization, or the next person might need to focus on the lift part of that. So while they're not a a one size fits all, definitely you having an assessment of some sort would be ideal. Pain people, I will before I recommend any sort of Kegel exercise, I would want to have an understanding of what's contributing to their pain first. And usually, again, not everybody, but more commonly with pain people, they would really, really be focusing more on the down training, that the inhale breaths, the expansions and the the blossoming visualizations first before they started to do the up training, which would be adding on that contract and lift. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you're saying is that it is possible to almost like overwork your pelvic floor, like to really Mm -hmm. focus too much on the contraction. It's like always focusing on the inhalation and never allowing your body to fully exhale. Well, the, or the reverse of that. Or the reverse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, if you have an opportunity to get an assessment, that would be the, the best, but not everybody does. So you can pay attention to your symptoms as well. And if you learn the core breath and you practice it and you notice that your symptoms are getting worse, then I would start to focus more on the inhalation and see if the down training actually is more beneficial for you. And then the reverse could be true as well. But essentially I do, so for instance, the stress urinary incontinence people, Stress urinary incontinence, I would say it's the one that is the most likely to respond to pelvic floor fitness. So the I have a 28-day challenge that I do with people, and it's the series of exercises. It's five, two of which are down training, so relaxation, letting go, nothing to do with voluntary activation. And then three exercises are to do with voluntary activation, coordinated with movements like squats and lunges and, and other things. And People around two weeks notice significant change. And a lot of people have, you know, I don't have to wear panty liners anymore because they're going through and retraining that core to work in synergies. When I talked about that inner core unit that needs to work synergistically, sometimes it's just a matter of retraining the timing and getting it coordinated with the breath and then putting it into movement. And it can be so, so powerful and so, so simple. It's not like a you know, you have to do an hour a day or anything like that. And even once every other day is often suffice for people. So 
it's about just retraining that system to respond appropriately to changes in pressure within our body, like laughing, coughing, sneezing, standing up from a chair, running, whatever it is. And it can happen very quickly. And then again, the other thing that I, I mentioned earlier is once you recognize that it, there's a reduction or an elimination of symptoms, it doesn't mean, okay, I can stop now. It means that that becomes your core exercise. When you're doing your workouts, those become the core piece of your workout for the day is focusing on the pelvic floor. Because really, when you activate your pelvic floor, you turn pretty much anything into a core exercise. Yeah, it's like if you were to only work a certain part of your body because you're feeling some kind of pain there. And then when the pain relief goes away, you just ignore it. <laughs> right. And yeah. there's a decent chance the pain might come back. And you can't just, you know, suddenly start ignoring that part of your body. And I love what you said about being really intentional about working your pelvic floor. I think sometimes, you know, we talk a lot about fitness and exercise as being, you know, when you're watching TV, just do some sit-ups or something like yeah. that. But I think are are you really going to be that intentional about them? Are you going to be activating the parts of your body that you want to be working? Same goes for the pelvic floor. You know, if you're on a work call and you're doing your kegels, are you really <laughs> going to be focusing on doing them intentionally and doing them effectively? Or are you actually going to be doing more harm than good? Exactly. Yeah. And I love that you said that because it, a big piece for when I'm working with people, especially one-on-one -on -one or even in groups, the piece that's the hardest is often the connecting in with their pelvic floor and understanding what it feels like to let their vulva blossom and then what it feels like to actively contract because some people haven't really paid attention at all or they might have been living in shame and embarrassment and haven't been comfortable exploring those sensations. And when you can really get and I often get people closing their eyes as well. So they're not looking externally for anything. They just are feeling within their own body because um, it can be so new to so many, but life changing. So the intention piece is huge. And the, you know, do kegels at every red light or while you're brushing your teeth or with this, just do them when you have time to be quiet and to check in with your body and to, um, to feel to, to really feel what's happening. Absolutely. So I want to talk about kegels during pregnancy. And from what I understand, you know, there are certain things that you can do to actually prepare for birth, but then there's also things that you can do to prepare for postnatally what's going to be happening with your body, but then also changing things up when you're postnatal because what's effective during pregnancy might actually look different after pregnancy. So let's talk a little bit about the pelvic floor during and post-pregnancy and you know what you might want to be focusing on. For sure. Yeah. So in pregnancy, there are the influence of hormones, which we mentioned. There's also biomechanical changes that are happening. And, and a lot of those changes are coupled with the fact that our center of gravity is starting to shift. So as the belly grows out in front of us, our control, again, also with the lack of, uh, with the relax and affecting the pelvis as well, we start to use other things to maintain our core control or stability, if that makes sense. And oftentimes we start to, women unconsciously start to kind of push their pelvis forward and, and lean back a little bit. And it's almost like they're trying to use the pelvis as a bit of a shelf to hold up the weight of that growing belly. And that contributes to more tension being held in the back part, the posterior part of the pelvic floor. The, the glute muscles don't work quite as well. 
and the abdominal muscles, they're already undergoing stretch because of the belly growing as well, but they also become inhibited a little bit as well. So the core, that inner core four system is hindered by the fact that we have changes biomechanically happening. And so I bring attention to how women can make sure they're spending more time in optimal posture or alignment throughout the day and then teach them the core breath so how they can actively work on their pelvic floor throughout the day. I still give kegels to pregnant women or again the core breath to women. However, the disclaimer I have there is in the final weeks, so usually around 35-ish weeks, I will have them change the core breath slightly. So typically in a core breath, there's an inhalation and that expansion we were talking about, the fullness in the pelvic floor and into the perineum. And then there's the exhale that's coupled with the, you know, picking up blueberries or sipping milkshakes or whatever it is. And in birth, during the exhalation, when we're pushing our baby out, when we're exhaling, which in the core breath typically is when you're picking up blueberries and (laughs) sipping up milkshakes, If we were to do that and train our pelvic floor that way solely in pregnancy, then it may not be able to relax and yield and allow our babe to come out. So in the last few weeks of pregnancy, I have women do the inhalation and expansion and blossoming and then practice exhaling while keeping that expansion. So forgetting the blueberries, forgetting the jellyfish, I hadn't mentioned jellyfish yet, sorry, the milkshakes and just focus on keeping that expansion even during an an exhalation. So you're kind of reversing it a little bit in preparation for birth because ultimately, again, in birth, we want our pelvic floor to be able to yield and surrender and we want tension to subside so that our babe has an easier passage to move through rather than somewhere that's holding on to stuck tension. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And then... Once the babe is born, then I have women go back to the blueberries and the the milkshakes as soon as they can. And for some, voluntary activation of the pelvic floor, if they have had a vaginal birth, and even some people with cesarean births as well, voluntary activation can sometimes be uncomfortable and they may not want to go there right away and that's totally fine. So what I recommend is they just have the visualization. So just do some conscious breathing and visualize the blueberries and the blossoming and the blueberries and the blossoming in coordination with your breath, even if you're not adding that voluntary kegel or contraction piece on yet. But the sooner they can add that, it helps the recovery. So it stimulates nerve growth factor. So if there has been any nerve damage, which most women, especially in vaginal, well, in in any type of birth have some degree of nerve damage. So stimulating the nerve growth factor as soon as possible is beneficial. It also helps increase circulation, so to help support those healing tissues as well. And again, it's just kind of repatterning and and reminding the muscles what it is that we need them to do for us and taking advantage of muscle memory and all that kind of stuff. So that's typically how I would coach pregnant women from a pelvic floor perspective. And you can see pelvic floor physiotherapists in your pregnancy and then pre-book your six weeks. So typically the six week mark is when most people are getting their green light. And and I say it's your green light to go to your pelvic floor physio. And they are the ones that should actually give you the official green light that you can go back to running or jumping or more high impact activities. So I recommend in pregnancy that you pre-book an appointment 
you know, sort of around eight weeks postpartum so that it's in your calendar. You don't need to think about it. And, and you go and start your retraining process there. It's so interesting to me. I was recently reading an article that was talking about how women in France have built in pelvic floor physiotherapy postnatally mm-hmm. as part of their health insurance. I mean, it's it's free health insurance and that's built in. Like it's recognized that this is something that's so important for women in general, but especially postnatal women. And yet it's not even discussed here in North America. I know. And isn't that a shame? And, and it's it's kind of one of my missions where I'm petitioning. Now I'm in Canada, but I'm petitioning the Canadian government to to include it. Uh, it should be something that is standard of care and it should be covered by our healthcare system. And the amount of anguish and other surgeries and other challenges to the healthcare system, demands on the healthcare system would be gone if we had that in a preventive measure where women are were being screened immediately and given treatment immediately postpartum, well, within the first six weeks postpartum. But yeah, absolutely. In France, they they get it. They place an importance on it. And really, it should be standard around the world. Every single woman should have access to that. And uh, and it's really a shame that they don't. So we just have to advocate for ourselves right now. But things like your podcast and, and awareness is definitely increasing. So hopefully women will hear this and, and know and they can go and find resources in their own community as well. Absolutely. And I think a lot of women don't recognize that what's happening in their body maybe isn't normal and that mm-hmm. there is an option, <laughs> that there is something that you can do for your body to prevent. But also if you are experiencing pain during sex or if you know you have incontinence, like this is something that it, it can be helped. You just need to be aware of the problem. Exactly. And unfortunately, media media can play such a valuable role in increasing awareness. However, sometimes the messaging I feel is missing the mark. And the messages right now that women are most often receiving are that it's just something that happens and here's a product that you can put in and carry on about your day. And I agree that, and I'm talking about pads, so pads have a place and there are some people, yes, a few people who might potentially need them lifelong. However, really they should be a temporary aid while treatment is pursued. And I would love it if there could be some collaboration between the pad companies and the women's health specialists out there to let them know that there are options that that wearing a pad for life is not, it's not normal to have to wear a pad for the rest of your life. And it's not something you should accept. And um, here it is for while you need it. However, let's look at how we can get you to ditch the pads and, and you can live legally free for life and, and give them the options of, of all the other amazing. Because really, there's a lot of resources out there. It's just the lack of information. There's not a lot of awareness or information provided to women when they're seeking help. And most often they seek help from their uh, medical doctor and the medical community plays a, a, absolutely plays a role. However, in my opinion, it shouldn't be the first line of defense. But right now, that's typically where women are going first. So again, if there could be a collaboration between the medical community and the physical therapy community, then um, and it's starting to happen. I don't want to say it's not happening at all. It definitely is starting to. But there's so many more options that women have that they just simply don't know about. Absolutely. So I have a question, and I don't know if this is a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm -hmm. Do men have pelvic floors? Yes, they do. And it's not a dumb question. So (laughs) yeah, men, men have a pelvis, they have the same bony scaffolding that we do, except it's just it's shaped differently. So they don't need to 
allow a babe to come out. So theirs is, is kind of narrower and higher almost. And uh, they do have pelvic floor muscles and they attach at the same points, but they don't, so they don't have a uterus. They don't have the vaginal opening that we do. And again, the shape is different, but men can have challenges with their pelvic floor as well. So things like stress urinary incontinence are not as common. Uh, they can deal with pain uh, conditions. They can have um, urgency. They have prostate challenges. So if, if men are dealing with prostate challenges, also pelvic floor physical therapy is something that men can access as well. And, uh, but yeah, they do, they do have pelvic floors and they need to work them too. <laughs> Amazing. We could probably do a whole episode on that. <laughs> Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was so informative for me. I'm so thrilled that we were connected and that I could ask all the questions that I had. And I know that this is going to be so helpful for so many women. So if people want to find out more about you and about your services, where can they do that? Uh, Vaginacoach.com is the best place to find me. Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for coming on the show today and for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. I am truly so, so grateful. Awesome. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad and I'm honored that you had me on the show. Thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A huge thank you to Kim for coming on the show today and for sharing all of her knowledge. Highly recommend checking out her work, especially if she mentioned something that you might be struggling with or if you're just curious to learn more about the pelvic floor. And as promised, just a little life update. I just got back from a trip to Toronto, which was wonderful to see friends and family but happy to be back in San Francisco for the next little while. A quick trip down to LA for a special event, and then a couple more weeks of hanging out around San Francisco before Kurt and I head out on our road trip. And if you listened to the episode with Kurt a while back from Valentine's Day, we chatted about this road trip that we've been planning for a really long time now, and we're super excited to be exploring the Southwest. I just booked our final accommodation, so we're doing a mixture of camping, Airbnb, and hotels and staying with family and friends and we're really looking forward to that trip it falls on Kurt's birthday and our one-year wedding anniversary and we're bringing Bodhi along for the ride so it should be super fun definitely going to be capturing a lot of the experience so stay tuned for lots and lots of photos and videos and all that good stuff the last time we went on a major road trip was when we actually road tripped out to San Francisco to move here which was two and a half years ago so it's crazy to think it's been that long and so much has happened and I've kind of been taking a walk down memory lane and it's crazy to think that in that time Kurt and I got engaged we got married I did my yoga teacher training I'm now teaching a weekly class and there's just so much that's happened in the best, most wonderful ways. And we were chatting about how all of this happened simply because we took a risk and we packed up our belongings and we moved out west to see what would happen. And not all risks work out. That's the reality of life, but not seeing them as failures, but seeing them as part of the adventure is super helpful. And also just, you know, celebrating your successes and when things do work out. So feeling really good about that and really looking forward to our trip. 
And also, we're doing some work on the Camp Wellness Boot Camp. So we're getting ready to release the next round of enrollment. So opening it up to new campers, making some quick little changes and adding some juicy little bits to the course to make it even better. So I can't wait to share more info on that. And when that's opening up, it was really cool to see the over 60 campers go through it and their takeaways from it. So really excited to open it up to more people so that they can go through the course, as well as the Pinterest bootcamp, which is now available. So that is an evergreen course. We are not going to close enrollment on that. We just want to make that accessible to everybody at all times because it's something that you can kind of do at your own pace in your own time. And it's, you know, way less heavy in terms of content because it's exclusively focused on Pinterest, which many people don't realize is actually the bulk of where my business is focused and where I get a lot of my traffic from. So I really focus on Pinterest a lot and have found huge value in that. So I'll include a link to the Pinterest bootcamp if you're interested in checking it out. And if you use the code SAVE10, you'll actually save $10 off the course, which is pretty cool. So yeah, stay tuned for an announcement around the bootcamp and when enrollment will be opening for that. And otherwise, just kind of sitting back, enjoying springtime in San Francisco, really making a point of saying no to the things that don't light me up and focusing on the things that do and taking care of myself and my body and slowing down when I need to and just creating that space for myself. Life certainly isn't perfect. I have days where I'm struggling with things, whether it be emotional or physical or mental. Don't get me wrong, we all have our struggles, but just sharing some of the wins lately and feeling pretty excited about a lot of them. But yeah, life is not perfect. I, I think you guys know that by now, that even though you know we oftentimes share a highlight reel, there's a lot that's happening behind the scenes that you don't see. But I try and give a full picture here, so I hope you feel that way. And if you guys want to keep following my journey, feel free to follow me on Instagram. It's just the Healthy Maven, or check out the THM Tribe, which is a great place to connect with other listeners from the show and just chat about things that come up for you while listening to episodes or things that you might be struggling with that you're looking for a great community to help you out. So it's just facebook.com slash group slash THM Tribe. And I would absolutely love if you left a review on iTunes. This is something that you can actually do on your phone. So if you have your phone with you right now, if you're sitting on the bus or maybe you're sitting in class not paying attention or whatever it is that you might be doing and you want to help a sister out, leave a comment or a review on iTunes. It just lets me know that you guys are enjoying the show or if you have feedback for me, feel free to do that there. I would be so, so grateful. And with that, next week on the show, we have Ashling McDonough, who is going to be chatting about IVF and the process of going through her fertility journey, which was pretty unique. She actually conceived on her own using a sperm donor. So she's going to chat a little bit about her experience with that, as well as going through IVF. She's actually a fertility coach now, and she helps women, whether they're struggling to get pregnant or they're looking to conceive on their own, work through that process. So she's actually going to walk all of us through what that process looks like, which I think is really helpful because many women unless they've struggled with fertility issues, actually don't really know what goes into that process and what it really means. And so she let me ask all the questions that I had about it as someone who has not tried to get pregnant and has not gone through any fertility treatments and 
you know, just learn more about the process because I know there's a lot of women out there who are struggling with this and a lot of women who don't really know what to expect. So stay tuned for that episode coming live next Wednesday. I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will chat with you again next week. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.